Hey everybody, welcome to Liquid Church Online. I'm Pastor Tim. It's an honor to be in your home today. Maybe you're watching Church Online or streaming on Facebook Live. I'm so glad you tuned in. We are in week seven or eight of this COVID-19 crisis, a global pandemic which has now claimed the lives of over 200,000 people around the world. Uh, here in the metro New York, New Jersey region, we've been hit hard. Um, life is at a standstill. We are still under stay-at-home orders. We're waiting to get past the peak of the pandemic. But listen, just because we're socially distancing, it doesn't mean we spiritually distance. In fact, this is a chance for us to draw closer to Christ together. And I want to encourage you today with a message I'm calling, Winning the War on Worry. Anybody feel a little bit of stress out there? I do. Um, this is a two-week series because we're living in super stressful times. And I know a lot of us are experiencing kind of day-to-day worry and fear and anxiety, not just about the coronavirus, but the economic damage that it's causing. Uh, businesses are closed. We all know somebody who's lost a job or maybe you've had your income disrupted. Uh, and I think everybody's asking like, hey, when are we ever going to get back to normal, right? Like, like what, what does the new normal even look like? There's a lot of uncertainty and that causes anxiety. So notice it's not just the virus that spreads, so do stress and fear. So for the next two weeks, what I thought God would have me do is teach you about how you can win this war over worry, but listen, with God's help. Because even though we don't know how much longer we have at home until we're back together again, hopefully soon, in church and schools and restaurants, listen, you don't have to be a prisoner to fear in your home. You don't have to wake up every morning, read the news and kind of wring your hands, just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop, you know, worrying, hey, what's going to happen next? which I get it. We all are worrying that way some way, some degree. Um, in fact, this week, this week is funny. I asked many of you for help with the sermon. And on Wednesday, I posted a simple comment, a question on Facebook. I said, complete this sentence. I feel anxiety about, and it was incredible. In a matter of hours, hundreds of replies began pouring in. Let me share some of them with you. I, I clipped these. Karen said, uh, I feel anxiety about having a job when this is all over. Amanda said, I feel anxiety about losing my parents. It may not be rational or even reasonable, but I'm so worried about them getting sick. Heather said, my child with autism, regressing from not being in school and receiving his therapy. It's not the same at home. I think any, any homeschooling parents right now feel that anxiety. Uh, Tiffany says, I feel anxiety being single and facing quarantine alone. I appreciate Jeff, a businessman, getting on an eight-hour overseas flight to Newark on May 13th. He's counting down the days. Or how about this one? Uh, I feel worried when the world goes back to our new normal, will COVID come back strong again? When I go back to work, I work in retail, will I catch it? She writes, being a compromised immune system. When will I see my only granddaughter again? I'm missing out on all her firsts. Guys, I think you can kind of hear the pain in that. I mean, these are all very legitimate reasons for concern or worry. Now, of course, amidst all these comments you put on my Facebook, there were a few wise guys. Uh, Carlos said, I feel anxiety knowing when life returns to normal, my wife will no longer cook three meals a day. <laughs> Hashtag girl boss. <laughs> Hashtag wise guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, most of them we, we can all relate to. Um, I appreciate what Nicole said. She said, I, I feel anxiety about finding a job after graduating from law school in a few weeks. So students are feeling that. Or how about this couple? David said, I feel worried about my near future, not just our, mine, but my fiance's. Our first apartment, our wedding, our new life was supposed to begin this summer 
And everything right now just seems so uncertain, right? Think about all the different stages of life. Chris said, we're becoming new parents in this new normal. And then Monica said, hey, people struggling with no income. Suicide and domestic cases rising as the week goes on. That is something serious to worry about. And Michelle captured for a lot of people the deepening political divide in our country. Guys, let's be honest. There's a lot to be worried about in our world right now. In fact, you know what's got some of you really worried? I know what some of you are actually really anxious about. You feel anxiety about feeling anxiety. <laughs> you actually feel guilty about it because you think like, well, Christians are supposed to be exempt from worry, but, but I'm not, right? Maybe you grew up being taught, well, the Christian life is a life of peace and, and you don't have peace, so maybe the problem is you, right? So then you add another layer of guilt on top of your anxiety, which makes your worry even worse. But guys, here's the good news. I'm, I'm not here to focus on the cause of worry. I want to help you find the cure. Because the Bible says, yes, anxiety is a fact of life, but it doesn't have to dominate your life. With God's help, you can win the war on worry. I really believe that. If you wake up every day just kind of overwhelmed, your mind kind of buzzing with negative, nervous thoughts, then I want to introduce you to my friend. He's actually a doctor. His name is Dr. Paul <laughs> or the Apostle Paul. Uh, in the year 61 AD, Dr. Paul pulled out a prescription pad and he wrote the original prescription for anxiety. It's found in the book of Philippians chapter four, verses six through eight. And this is a famous scripture that my mom actually made me memorize as a kid. And I'm as an adult, I'm glad she did. I think this belongs in the Bible verse hall of fame. You know, like there's like John three sixteen. There's like the Lord's prayer, our father, Psalm 23. I think Philippians four belongs in the hall of fame as well. In fact, check this out. This passage we're about to read, this is the most highlighted verse over the last 12 months on the web's biggest Bible app. In other words, people around the world are desperate. They want to know what is God's cure for anxiety. And so I want to read this scripture out loud together. Think of it this way. This is Dr. Paul's prescription for peace in the middle of a pandemic. Wherever you are at home right now, let's just kind of read this out loud together. So wherever you are, sit up straight. Come on, fill your lungs. Fill your heart with hope. Say it like you mean it. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, here's the promise, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts, so your emotions and your minds, your thoughts, as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you have heard this verse before? Don't worry about anything, right? Instead, pray about everything. Well, I made this a two-week series. Because I want to challenge you to read this verse every morning this week. I want you to try to commit it to memory for next week. Because these famous verses, guys, if you break them down, there are four powerful commands that lead to one potent promise. Then, if you do these things, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In other words, I love that. It'll guard like a sentry, guarding your heart and your mind. It's like a bouncer for your brain. <laughs> Could I ask, let me just ask you this. Could you use some calm right now during this crisis? Calm, C-A-L-M, because God wants to give it to you. Listen to me. It's not God's will for you to live a life of perpetual panic, okay? No matter how long this quarantine lasts, God doesn't want you to wake up every day with your stomach in knots, and your brain, your brain just kind of buzzing with all these negative thoughts. 
I believe God wants to write a brand new chapter in your life and it's not when this thing is over. I, want, I think he wants to write it right now, this spring. In the middle of a pandemic, the Bible says you can experience peace. So if you're taking notes, Dr. Paul, he's gonna teach us how to stay calm. C-A-L-M, when anxiety attacks. This is his four-step strategy here in Philippians to win the war on worry. C is control belongs to God. We have to admit that we are not controlled, but good news, God is. He's sovereign. We're gonna talk about this today. A, ask him for help. Paul says you gotta pray about everything. Give your requests to God. And then L, you leave your worries with him. This is so cool. In prayer, think of it this way. We make an exchange, we trade. We give God our worries in exchange. He gives us his peace. And then he says, M, you gotta meditate on good things. Paul adds a final verse in Philippians 4 that says this. He says, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Does that describe your Netflix queue? <laughs> if you want to win the war and worry, guys, you got to monitor your mind. You have to filter out the negative thoughts because the devil loves to amplify anxiety in a time of crisis. So could you use some calm right now in this crisis? C-A-L-M? Control, ask, leave, meditate. This is Paul's four-step strategy to win the war on worry. Now, let me give a little disclaimer before we unpack the first two today. I don't want to give the impression that anxiety you could just like wave it away with a magic memory verse, okay? Let's be realistic. In fact, for those of you who are dealing with mental illness or if you have a medical anxiety disorder, you know, God's prescription may include the use of medication or therapy. So if you, if you take meds, you do therapy, don't you think for a minute that you're somehow a second-class Christian or you're weak in some way. Guess what? Doctors, medicine, counseling, all of them are gifts from God, amen? He uses them in the healing process. But when I talk about anxiety in this two-week series, I'm not referring to medical anxiety where there's like a chemical imbalance or mental illness. I'm mainly talking about situational anxiety. In other words, certain situations that cause you this irrational worry. Like maybe like you're a pretty reasonable person, but when it, except when it comes to your kids, you freak out or situations at work, or now money causes panic. It like hits the panic button. And your mind starts racing with anxious thoughts. Now, anxiety is interesting. The word anxious actually comes from two Greek words, mere nao, which literally means to be divided in your mind. In other words, it's the opposite of like cool, calm, collected. To be anxious is when your mind starts racing, like all these what ifs, and it starts going in all these different directions. It's like this, your, your, your thoughts are like an octopus on roller skates. <laughs> well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Well, what about that and this? And this? See, let me listen. There, there's a big difference between worry and anxiety. Worry is a normal part of everyday life, right? We all have things we're concerned about. For instance, right now, maybe you're worried about, you know, getting a loan for your small business. I've talked to a number of small business owners who applied for, for a government stimulus loan. You know, they have the, the payroll protection program, but then the government fund ran out, right? And so they're next in line for the, for the, the new round. Um, but that's very natural that you would worry like, hey, I wonder if I'll get the loan. You know, it's probably 50-50. And if, if we don't get it, how long can I stretch payroll? You know, I'm concerned. That's normal worry. It's in the parameters of normal concern. But anxiety takes it a notch higher. Anxiety assumes the worst. Anxiety says, I just know I'm not getting that loan. I just, I just know it. Sales are down. We're going to have to lay people off. We can't pay the bills. We are going to go bankrupt. 
We will, we will never recover. My business is over. In fact, I won't be able to pay my mortgage and, and we'll probably lose our house and, and my, my whole life is over. My marriage will end. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, man. Nothing's happened yet. But anxiety is when your mind starts racing with all these toxins. What is, what is, it's an octopus on roller skates. Your thoughts go in every direction and you can't shut them off. That's anxiety. It's mental, but it's also emotional. And watch this, it causes physical problems. Your chest tightens, your jaw clenches, your stomach starts churning. It's your body's way of saying, you know what? You weren't meant to carry burdens this way. You can't live, guys under this constant cloud of what ifs. Uh, Elise said, what would happen uh, to my kid if something happened to me and or my hubby? What happens if my parents got sick and I can't be there to say goodbye? You see, it's projecting into the future something that hasn't happened yet. Jennifer says, I feel anxiety about the unknown. What's next in our future? How will we pick up after the dust settles? We're all asking that. And then of course there was Mel. Mel said, I feel anxiety about helping you with this week's sermon on anxiety. Thank you, Mel. Banned from Facebook. You know, most of these are valid concerns, but if you go back and let's look at the first part of Paul's prescription, Paul writes, okay, let me give you the list of legitimate things you should worry about. Here it is. Get ready. Paul says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> like nothing, no thing. Yeah, does that include your thing? Like Paul could have wrote, he said, you could have said like, only worry about the big things like pandemic or recession. Or he might've said, you know, you should be anxious only if the doctor calls, but doesn't leave a message. And yet Paul says, no, no, don't worry about anything. Zilch, zero. And I get it. It's like, come on, Paul. Maybe Paul, well, I'd love to be a super apostle, right? Whatever. Like maybe Paul was out of touch, you know, with that reality when he wrote this, you know, he's just an apostle in the Bible, so he's praying all day, super spiritual. Ah, 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 ah. Let me give you a little context. When Paul wrote these words, he was an old man gazing out the window of a prison cell. I want your imagine take you back 2,000 years because Paul was 60 years old and he's rotting away in a Roman prison. In fact, as he sits in his cell, his back is a spider web of scars from the whippings that he's endured. He's been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's quarantined. He's locked away and isolated and he's suffering. He can barely see. He has glaucoma. And what's worse? Paul's in prison awaiting trial before Nero. You know Nero? The Roman emperor who discovered that the most popular way with the people is to kill Christians. And Paul's the most famous Christian on earth. So you think like being stuck at home is tough? Paul's in prison. He's suffering. He's awaiting execution. His future is frightening. And yet, his word here in Philippians doesn't contain a single word of complaint. Not one word of worry. Not one. The whole chapter, you should read the book. His letter is four chapters long. It's basically this ode to joy. He, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. Wait a minute. Paul's prescription for peace starts with his outrageous command to woo, rejoice the Lord while this guy is suffering in the slammer. How's that possible? Because the apostle Paul had a bedrock belief in the sovereignty of God. Can you type that word? Sovereignty. It's a grown-up word. It's a biblical word. And you, let me tell you what it means. Keep it on the screen because I want to show you. 
It means that God is in complete control of every element in the universe, including your life. Look at the word sovereignty, and in the middle of the word, you're going to see the word reign. You see it? Let me underline it for you. The king of the universe is reigning over everything. God is ruling over the sand and the sea to the stars in the sky. Sovereignty means that God created it all. He named it all. He sustains it all. He controls it all. He has numbered the hairs on your head. For some of you, that's very easy to do. Guys, the apostle Paul was convinced, I may be in prison. I may be in a situation I don't like, but my God is in complete control. Can you say that in quarantine? God's in control, even when life feels out of control and unpredictable. Your father's in control. Your life is in his hand and everything is going according to his perfect plan. Now I get it. This may not feel perfect to you. When you watch the news, let's be honest, nobody likes to suffer, right? No one likes uncertainty. No one likes to bury a loved one. But as a believer, God knows your story. He created you. He loved you. He saved you. He filled you with his Holy Spirit. And listen to me, he is writing your story from the first page to the final chapter. In Psalm 139, David marvels. He says this, I love this verse. You saw me, God, before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You serve a sovereign God, amen? He's writing your story and he alone commands your destiny. So if you know Jesus Christ, you know what you get to say? I know the king of the universe and I call him daddy. You are not a victim of chance or some random circumstance. You are a child of God. Listen to what Paul writes in chapter one. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until Jesus comes back, God's working and he's gonna get you to the end line. In other words, God's begun a good work in you. And so even when things go wrong in the world, they're gonna turn out right because God's sovereign. Even the bad stuff in life, God can like bend it like Beckham and just use it for your good and his glory. I want you to think about this because Paul's stuck in prison and look what he writes here. He says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's like, look at these handcuffs. God's gonna use it. <laughs> look, but Paul didn't want to be in prison. Come here. But as he looks at it through the lens of God's sovereignty, he says, okay, God's going to use my time in jail to give me the chance to tell others about Jesus. Paul was actually chained to the palace guard. And he's like, I got a captive audience. <laughs> so guys, true peace is not the absence of crisis. It's the presence of Christ in your crisis. It's, it's looking at whatever situation is generating anxiety and say, it's okay, man. God is in complete control, even when my life seems out of control. Guys, that is step number one to finding calm in your life. You have to acknowledge, see, all control belongs to God. Now, can we talk about control a minute? Anybody have a control freak in the house? Just type their name in the chat right now. Just type, just kidding, don't, don't do that. We all know people who love to control the world. They want the outcome to be perfect. And, and isn't it funny, the more they try to control things, the more stress they cause. Isn't that interesting? 
It's almost like as control decreases, anxiety increases. That's why the most stressed out people in the world are control freaks. I appreciate Susan coming out here on Facebook. She said, I feel anxiety not knowing what my new normal is going to look like in a few weeks. Can you tell I'm a control freak? (laughs) Yeah, we all feel that way. Guys, listen. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to this. Control is not yours to take. You can't control what happens next. Guys, you, you can wear a mask and gloves to the grocery store and you can still test positive. You can scrimp and you can save and lose what you worked for in weeks. No matter how hard we try, you can't anticipate and control every contingency. But that's okay because control doesn't belong to you. Control belongs to God alone. He is sovereign. He reigns, you don't. So here's what I want to do. I want to do something that's going to be very liberating for you right now, wherever you are. Go ahead. Put your right hand over your heart like this. Go ahead, just like this. Come on in. Raise your other right hand, and I want you to repeat these words after me. Say, today, I resigned from running the universe. I quit as CEO of my life and my work. I surrender control to my sovereign savior. Just exhale. Doesn't that feel good? Just take, go ahead, text a friend and say, man, good news. I was like in the middle of the pandemic. I resigned from running the universe. I gave control of my life back to God where it belongs. See, the apostle Paul had the right idea in prison. Paul trusted even though his circumstances were bad, his God was still good ruling and reigning on his throne in heaven, which gave Paul peace on earth. That's why Paul's practically shouting. He's like, I am 100% confident of this. God's gonna use this. That he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's like, there is not a doubt in my mind. This imprisonment is gonna turn out for my deliverance in the salvation of other people. No doubt. Even the bad stuff I know my God can bend to fit his perfect plan. Think of it this way. People are like, Tim, you should do a series on the end times of things like, it seems like the world is falling to pieces. Listen to me. Things aren't falling to pieces. They're falling into place. From God's perspective, they're not falling to pieces. They're falling exactly into place as he planned. Can I ask you, do you have this bedrock belief in the sovereignty of God over your health, over your job, over your family, over your finances? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, Can I just say in respect, I think we found the source of your anxiety. Calm begins with C, acknowledging all control belongs to God. That's the first step. Now I want you to watch the second step here because Paul writes, don't worry about anything. That's the negative. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. In other words, A is because God's in control, ask him for help. (laughs) That's the second step in the war on worry. When crisis hits, guys, what's the difference between us and the rest of the world? What do Christians do differently? The answer is we choose prayer over despair. See, with this verse, Paul tells us, take action against anxiety. Don't just sit there. Up to this point, he's just been assuring us of God's character, right? His sovereignty, his love, his perfect plan. But now he's like, it is time to take action. Don't worry about anything. That's the negative. Instead, here's the positive. Pray about everything. Tell God exactly what you need. Now, the fancy word for this is supplication. And uh, most folks think that's an old school word for prayer. But it comes from this Latin word supplicar, 
which it means to humbly plead. It actually envisions you getting down on your knees to ask somebody with great power to do something you can't do. Have you ever seen a movie where like a, you know, a poor peasant, you know, comes before a king on his throne and, and she has to get down on her knees, you know, to beg him, you know, my Lord, since you are righteous and, and merciful and sovereign, would you show me favor, grant my request? You see movies like that? That's supplication. In prayer, the believer gets on her knees and enters the throne room of heaven and pleads with the sovereign king of the universe, Lord, you are an all-powerful God of love and mercy. Would you use your power to do something I can't do? See, when crisis comes, guys, the world wrings its hands. But when Christians are in crisis, we bend our knees. In supplication, we humbly ask. We invite heaven's help. Come into the fight. We can actually say, I know this king, and I call him father. We ask our daddy God to help us. Because where our resources are limited, his are limitless. So we pray a prayer like this, Father, I'm worried about my job. I am facing a gap in my finances this spring. I don't have the income. I have to pay this bill. Daddy, I'm doing all I can to stay afloat. But Lord, I need your help with my finances. So please, Father, your word says you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Help your child. Provide income for me. Or pour out your favor with my customers. God, only you can do that. I can, I'm not in control. That's supplication. You notice it's done with humility. That's what being on your knees shows, humility. In prayer, you never demand things of God. We just remind God of what he's capable of. And we ask him, would you do something that I can't touch? You know, I heard an amazing story of answered prayer this week. In fact, um, happened right here in our church. True story. Um, some of you know Will and Vicki Chan, wonderful family from our Middlesex County campus. That's Will in the blue right there, and then Vicki in the tan with their family. And Will runs an IT company in New York City. And so when the pandemic hit, all businesses closed. But he and his partner, they said, you know what? We feel like we need to keep everybody employed. They just made that commitment. They said, we have a small staff of seven, and this company belongs to the Lord, and we feel like we're supposed to keep our staff employed because their families are depending on it. Well, pretty soon, payments stopped coming in from their clients. They slashed expenses like many of us are doing. But then that small business loan program came out, right? The government saying, hey, we're going to get set aside 350 was a billion dollars in emergency loans for small businesses like Will's to survive. And so Will jumped right on it. He applied at the, you know, the stroke of midnight and, of course, had to submit his application six times, right? Very frustrating. And by the time his uh, application was processed, the small business funds were depleted. Right? You guys saw that in the news? $350 billion, like, gone like that. Super discouraging. It was really discouraging because some of it apparently went to some big businesses, like Shake Shack. It was, it's a burger chain. has over 8,000 employees. And you can get cynical, like, oh, of course, the big guys get bailed out first, right? Listen, Will and Vicky didn't get bitter. They didn't shake their fist. Instead, they got on their knees and they prayed. They said, this business belongs to God. He's in control. And if God wants it to survive, he'll provide but if it doesn't survive, God, it's yours anyway. Open hands. And Vicki, she wrote this in an email. She said, God's always provided for us. And every time I felt anxious, I prayed over that loan application. Well, guys, here's the shocking twist. I just love this story. You guys may have heard this week that Shake Shack took a lot of flack for taking $10 million in stimulus funds. And so on Monday, they returned their $10 million loan to the government and because Shake Shack gave up their loan, the loan for Will's business came through. 
Is that not, give God a praise, man. Come on. Just, that's amazing. Milkshakes for everybody. Come on. <laughs> Vicky was like, Tim, we knelt down. We were just crying and praising God. The relief, the weight lifted has been overwhelming. But we're sober to know so many people are struggling like that. Guys, God can do anything. He can provide in ways you can't even imagine. Now, I understand you've got your own situation, right? Maybe it's just like hanging on to your hourly job or you're taking care of aging parents. You can't even see them now or you're struggling with the littles at home. Listen, listen to me. Instead of wasting your energy on worrying, pour your energy into praying. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's how you win the war on worry. You work like it all depends on you, but you pray like it all depends on God because it does, amen? Listen, during this pandemic, guys, what's God's will? Here it is. Do your best every day in whatever he's given you to do. If it's homeschooling your kids, crush it. <laughs> if it's delivering groceries, crush it. If you are a, uh, a healthcare hero, you're carrying on the front lines for people who are sick, crush it. Take precautions. Wash your hands. Put on your PPE. But don't you forget to pray. Pray because control belongs to God. Ask him for help. Those are the first foundational steps of winning the war on worry. Now I'm going to get to the last two steps next week. So, so you come back, you hear? But let me close with this. We, we all worry. I'll, I'll just confess something. Even your pastor, can I let you in on a little bit of a secret? I'm going to tell you, lean in. I don't, don't tell anybody else. <laughs> I'm generally not an anxious person, but I do feel some anxiety whenever I fly in an airplane, okay? It's completely irrational, um, but it goes back about 15 years ago. Colleen and I were on a flight over Atlanta that had this terrible turbulence, and we flew into a storm. I don't know if lightning struck the plane, but plane shook. We're all like in our seats. The lights went out, and it dropped about 100 feet. People were like, ah, oxygen masks came down. We eventually landed, but it was super stressful. And when we landed, it was one of those flights where everyone's like, oh, we're alive, you know. Thank you, Jesus, and United. <laughs> uh, the reality is that, that little trauma I had with turbulence 15 years ago, it's the trigger for the anxiety I feel today whenever I have to fly. And I just, it's kind of irrational. I actually get on board and my palms start getting sweaty. And I kind of look in the cockpit like, you know, is the pilot in there? Do I smell alcohol? Is he drunk? Like, this is irrational, Right. <laughs> I get in my seat, I find my seat, I kind of look out the window, I check the wings of the plane, you know, see if there's anything needs repairs. Like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, I want you to imagine something. Imagine I get on board of a flight whenever the pandemic restrictions are lifted, and I walk down the aisle and I see three passengers sitting in the row next to me. Uh, this guy's sitting in seat A, uh, this guy's sitting in seat B, and then there's a woman in seat C, okay? So three passengers sitting across from me, and as we get ready to take off, they, they start talking about the pilot of the plane. And because I'm a preacher, that means I get to eavesdrop because it's just. <laughs> and I'm listening. Passenger A says something kind of odd about the pilot. He says, you know, uh, I actually don't think there's a pilot on this plane. Yeah, on the way in, I, I looked in the cockpit and there's nobody there. In fact, I think this plane is one of those giant drones that Amazon is experimenting with. Yeah, I think, I think this plane is flown by Amazon. I'm like, what? Yeah, I think some teenager in Scranton is probably controlling this plane with a joystick. I'm telling you, there is no pilot on this plane. And then passenger B says, well, you know, that's kind of crazy. I, I think there's a pilot. 
I just don't think he's awake. <laughs> I know what these pilots do. They get the plane about 30,000 feet, they hit autopilot, and they watch TikTok videos. I'm telling you. And then they nap, they, they sleep like through the flight, and then they wake up just in time for the landing. Now, passenger C can't believe what she's hearing. She looks at passengers A and B, and she says, let me tell you something. We are in a plane that is piloted by one of the best pilots in the air today. He is awake, he is alert, and he's experienced. I can tell you from personal experience, he cares deeply about getting us safely to our destination. And the other two passengers say, well, how do you know that? And she says, because I had breakfast with him this morning. He's my father. You see, you've got three different views of God. Pilot A says, or passenger A says, God's absent. B says, the pilot's bored. He's there, but he's not paying attention. He doesn't care how the flight ends. But the passenger C says, no, no, no. The pilot is in complete control. He is skillful and he's caring and he's personally invested because I'm his daughter and he's my daddy. And he loves me deeply. He laid down his life for me. Now, I want you to imagine 30 minutes into the flight, <laughs> turbulence hits. <laughs> Just like my flight. The plane starts bouncing up and down. People are scared. How do you think those three passengers are going to react? Right? You guys know. The first two are going to panic. They're going to get sucked into a sinkhole of anxiety because they believe the pilot's absent or asleep. Nobody's in control. Now, passenger C, she doesn't like the turbulence. But while everybody else is panicking, she's actually peaceful. Why? Because she has a relationship of complete trust with the pilot. Her father's flying the plane, and she is confident he loves her, and he's 100% committed to getting her home safely. Can I ask you a question? Who flies your plane? I know this is an oversimplification, but there's really three views of God in the world. There's no God. He's absent. B, there is a God, but he backed away. He's not caring. He's not in control. And then there is C, the God discovered by the Apostle Paul in a prison cell. The king you call father. The almighty sovereign of the universe who loves us like sons and daughters. Who actually willingly lost his own son so that he'd never lose you. You know, because Jesus died for your sins. Guys, we're guaranteed life eternal with God. The pilot has promised, I'm going to get you home safely. So here's my question. Put it up again, Rick. Who flies your plane? Friends, receive this in your heart. When you rest in the sovereignty of God, that's how you win the war on worry. It's funny, whenever I get on a plane now, before we take off, I don't pop a volume. I pull up my Bible and I pray Philippians 4 back to my father. God, I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm coming to you right now and I'm praying about everything. God, I believe you have my family in your hand. I commit them to you. I'm thanking you, Lord, for bringing me this far. I know you're not going to leave me alone. And then, listen to this, listen to this, verse 7. Then you'll experience, here's the promise, God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. As you live in Christ Jesus, he gave his life for me so that I can live. He's a God of life, not death. Can I tell you what that does to my soul? When I start meditating on God's power in that seat, when I sit down and think about his perfect plan for my life, and I'm in that cabin, it's like this peace that passes understanding, begins to quiet my anxious thoughts as I surrender control to my sovereign Savior. I say, God, I believe everything's going according to plan. It's not falling to pieces. 
My life is falling into place. I actually wrote those words in my Bible. Guys, that's how practical God's word is. Sovereignty of God is not some abstract theological concept. It is a practical tool for everyday life. God's word is your weapon to win this war on worry. So can I challenge you? Just commit this verse to memory the next couple weeks. Tape it to your fridge. You go there enough every day. (laughs) Read it every day, man. Give it a home in your heart. Let's actually pray it out loud together like a closing prayer. Does that sound good? Wherever you are, just, just say it out loud. Sit up straight. Here we go. Sit up straight. Fill your lungs with air and your heart with hope. Say it like you mean it, church. Here we go. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this promise. Your sovereignty is powerful, God. Right now, everything is uncertain. Everything has changed, but you have never changed. Jesus Christ, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we worship you. We put our life in your hands. In fact, right now, as we're praying, I want to invite you. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to do that now, man. We're in the middle of a once-in-a-lifetime global disruption, and it's God, I think, in some ways, shaking us awake to our need for him. And so if you want to call the King Father, you have to call his Son Savior. If you want the peace of God in your life, you say, Jesus, be my Prince of Peace. So right now, just pray with me. Jesus, come into my life. I surrender control to you. Be my pilot, be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying so that I could live. I receive by faith your Holy Spirit. Save me so I can live forever with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. You've been born again. Your journey with Jesus is just beginning. Let us know in the chat. Say, hey, man, I raised my hand to receive Christ. And we're going to get you some materials how you can take your next steps with Jesus. I love you guys. Come back next week for round two of winning the war on worry. See you then.